welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to this week's full-length episode. This week's episode, I recorded it, um, I don't know, a week or so ago. And I'm just going to be really honest. It's very honest about an experience in my life um, in my second marriage. And uh, I-, I thought about going back and redoing it, maybe editing, maybe filtering a little bit. And I decided not to because I'm myself here. Some of you know uh, my situation in that marriage. Some of you know my ex-husband. And um, I I just trust that you understand why I tell the story. And um, I reiterate it later. But my second husband is sober and happy and healthy and thriving. And so am I. And so that experience in that marriage, while I learned a lot and there was a lot of pain there, we're both better off, better people. Everything is lovely, which is why I feel free to talk about it. So just a little disclaimer for the second half of this episode. So um, a little bit about what's going on around here. I got to officiate my sister's wedding last Friday night. It was amazing. I've talked about it a lot in the podcast, how she and I used to be estranged. And now uh, our relationship has been really healed and it's grown a lot. And so much so that I got to be a part of this amazing momentous day. So uh, my sister has always wanted to get married on Fort Myers Beach, which is different than like Fort Myers. There's Fort Myers, Florida, and then there's Fort Myers Beach, which is this beautiful strip of beach that's all hotels and restaurants and mom and pop shops and a beautiful place to vacation. I vacationed there a couple of times, uh, once with her, uh, once with my ex-husband and my stepson. It's idyllic. It's amazing. And um, she, my sister has gone down there multiple times per winter over the years during, um, during difficult times in her life, during happy times in her life, and for sure in the winter time when her sinuses go nuts. So she's got so many memories on that beach. And she's always wanted to get married on the beach at sunset. And Fort Myers Beach was her dream destination. Well, there was a pretty intense hurricane that came through last fall and basically wiped out Fort Myers Beach. Um, Buildings on that island, you know, they're on stilts. And so the bottom part of them get completely washed away. The structures above the stilts typically still there. But um, really sad. Most of the hotels, I think I would say all of them, I didn't see any that were standing, gone, completely destroyed or just in, in wreckage. And it's been 10 months or eight months, but um, apparently there's a lot of strict laws about cleaning up after a hurricane. FEMA is the organization that has to like coordinate that and get all of the rubble out. So we went um, over to Fort Myers so that she could indeed get married on that beach at sunrise or sunset, even though it's destroyed. It didn't matter. She's like, we're going to go find a spot on the beach with the sunset. We're not going to obviously stay on Fort Myers Beach, but still getting her dream. So they were supposed to get married last fall, but unfortunately, or this past February, but unfortunately Matt's mother passed away rather suddenly and it just changed everything. So the plan was just Matt and Rachel, Roy and me um, on the beach with a photographer. And um, she tried to find an officiant, uh, just find a, a pastor to do her wedding because it was really important to her, but couldn't find any pastor in the Fort Myers area that would even call her back, which was ridiculous. So I got ordained just like that. So I got ordained so that I could do weddings 
Um, if you want to get ordained, by the way, it's really easy. You go online. It doesn't cost anything. And you just swear a few things, read a few things, bam. At least in the state of Florida, um, you just have to be ordained uh, by some organization. And the internet is an organization that can ordain you. In Florida, if you're a notary public, you can marry people as well. That's it. That's all it requires. So so Friday night, um, Friday afternoon, Roy and I drove over to Fort Myers Beach. My sister had flown in. Matt was flying in. She had um, her hair and makeup done in her hotel, her hotel room. Um, Roy was tasked with making a bridal bouquet, which he said yes to, even though he'd never done one. But none of us were worried. Come to find out he was a little worried. He didn't even let on like that he was nervous about this. But of course, he created something really beautiful in an hour in the hotel room. Um, it was really fun to just get ready, see my sister turn into this, you know, she called it whore makeup. She had her makeup done and, you know, they use extreme amounts of makeup for photos. So it's a little more intense than what she would normally wear. She just kept saying, I look like a whore. I'm like, Rachel, it's your wedding day. You need to stop saying the word whore, but she did. And <laughs> so it, she looked fine. She did look more made up than normal, but it was beautiful. But anyway, so we drove to Fort Myers Beach from our hotel and driving out there, it was just insane to see the hurricane destruction. It was like driving into a war zone. And there were you know, some people, there was a couple of roadside stands that were open, whatnot, but it was basically, I mean, it looked like the hurricane had just happened last week. These were hotels where the walls, the outside walls were gone, but you could see into each of the little hotel rooms and there's still TVs hanging from the ceiling, you know, box springs swirled and twirled and shoved into corners, telephones, everything that had been in there was just blown around and left. It was just creepy. So we found a spot to pull over where we could get through some rubble and then walk out to the beach. And it was sunset. It was a little cloudy, really windy. So all of Rachel's perfectly curled, beautiful wedding hair was immediately... <laughs> blown to bits i should have warned her because i live on the beach and i know that the the wind is like you know you can do your hair that's a lovely idea but typically you're just gonna be ruined but she looked beautiful it wasn't a factor to anyone else but it was funny because my sister just kept saying i look like a whore and i wasted all that money on my hair um, which was humorous, but there was just so much symbolism, symbolism, you know, I love finding the analogy. So we're walking out over rubble. He's holding her hand, helping her up over piles of cement blocks and rebar and broken glass in the swimming pool, uh, by this hotel we parked at. And, you know, she, this is her third marriage. This is his second marriage. Both of them have been through a lot and they're starting their lives together, walking across destruction into the beautiful, beach wind swept clean beautiful the sun started to come down and fill the sky with beautiful color and it was just this beautiful image of yes this is life this is rebuilding after destruction this is navigating the rubble of old things together um to make something beautiful when we get married at this age in our life and at this stage of our life it's different than meeting somebody getting married and you just starting out building a life together at this point when you're getting married again um, and you know and he's got younger kids and so it's you know they're really merging a household it's it's the ability to look down at the rubble around you navigate through it and keep your eyes on the beauty ahead and to keep your eyes on the partnering to keep your eyes on the union um, if you look for perfection if you look for smooth ground you're not gonna find it 
there's, you know, old foundations of old relationships and experiences that have to be navigated. And I have faith in them that they're going to navigate it well. It was beautiful. So we, um, Roy took a whole bunch of photos. She had a photographer there, but Roy is amazing with his iPhone camera. He's like, it's just an iPhone, but the cameras on the new iPhones are better than a lot of the regular cameras out there. And he got the most beautiful videos and photos. And we set up two tripods so we could FaceTime my Uncle David and Aunt Donna in Iowa. And so we could do a Zoom meeting so um, my son, my sister's daughter, my parents, they could all watch. So once everything was rolling, we started the ceremony. And I had written, um, I had written out the vows. I found just the traditional vows. And then they had not given me custom vows. So I got to write a little message, a little sermon, and insert some fun things into their vows. Like she said, for richer or richer, instead of richer or poorer. She promised to always make him sandwiches. He promised to always have a boat to give her boat rides. Um, it was really fun. So we did it twice because my brother had tuned in on time, but we had started early, so he missed it. So we did it again. Like, why not? So it was an honor, an honor to be able to lead them in their wedding vows and be a part of that. So... Then we got all done. We went back to the hotel so Rachel could get a comb because she needed to comb her hair because it had been blown, which again, it looked great to us. But when you're a bride, you know, you get anything you want. And so she was able to comb her hair. And then we went to dinner. So because of the hurricane, there's basically nothing on Fort Myers Beach. But at the very beginning of the beach, kind of closer to town, there are um, businesses open. So we went to this restaurant on the water. And they have a boat that goes out and catches fresh shrimp, fresh fish. There was no one in there. So we sat outside. There were some people in there and they were shouting out congratulations. And we did. Rachel had fried shrimp basket. We had fresh grouper. Uh, it was a lovely casual meal. I had gotten some pretty lights to put on the table and they were all tangled. So I spent the first 20 minutes trying to untangle them before it was like, screw this. <laughs> so we tried. Um... And then my sister was like, how tired are you? And we were tired. We, you know, we get up early and we had driven across the state, but you know, it's her wedding. She's in a wedding dress. I am not tired. What do you need? She wanted to go to downtown Fort Myers and walk around and take some photos in some of her places. And so absolutely we are no longer tired. And I'm so glad that we were not tired. We went into downtown Fort Myers and um, Roy and I walked a few feet behind Matt and Rachel and just walking around downtown, which is so cool. I'd actually never been to downtown Fort Myers, but everyone shouting out congratulations and oh, and clapping. And I loved watching my sister just getting all of that attention in her beautiful wedding dress and um, went into this little speakeasy where they were playing Charlie Chaplin films on the wall and they had these really cool crafted cocktails. Um, none of us really drink much, but we got a smoked, smoky old fashioned, which was, I ended up drinking it. Um, it was fine. It was whatever. I don't really care about drinks, but it was cool. Cool to watch. Cool to be there. Um, Roy took so many cool pictures and, um, we went to a cigar shop cause I love a good cigar. Matt wanted to have a cigar. So that was fun. We were all having cigars <laughs> to celebrate and, um, and then walked around and then I went back to our hotel. So it was beautiful and I got to be a part of it. And so we went to sleep about 1am and then at 3am we got up uh, Roy and me, and we drove back to the beach in time for boot camp. So that was a little bit of a struggle bus to be that tired. Come here, do boot camp, quickly make breakfast. Roy had to go to work. I was exhausted, but I'm like, if he can't sleep, I can't sleep. So 
just powered through the day tired, but it was fine. Um, so worth it. And then my sister and Matt came here to Miami for their honeymoon and they stayed in the condo right next door. It was amazing to just have my sister next door. We went to bed early Saturday night, but we spent the weekend, we went to the beach. We took them to Jaya for a beautiful dinner. We went to Wynwood so they could have the best tacos. We got to catch up. We just got to hang out and enjoy each other and they got to really relax and enjoy Miami Beach. So it was epic and wonderful. And I know I repeat it, but I tell ya, going in for another try when you're estranged with your family, do it, do it, do it. The joy is so worth it. Do you really want to go to your deathbed holding a grudge and being like, well, nope, I had every right to whatever. Really? Is that, why do you want to do that? Set it down. You have so much time in your life to enjoy people that you love. Do not let hurt feelings and grudges keep you from making beautiful memories with people you care about. Nobody cares about your stupid grudge. I'm sorry. I mean, nobody cares about it. It's so stupid. The grudges that we hold are stupid. Now, I know sometimes people actually hurt you and you have to have boundaries. I'm not talking about that. Um, I get sometimes comments saying, I don't agree with you. I have to be safe from people that hurt me and toxic people. Yes, that is very true. In my situation, it wasn't toxic people. It was holding grudges, holding hurts, refusing to forgive, and just letting all of that block a beautiful relationship. So if that's what you're doing, I encourage you, look inside, be honest with yourself and say, do I want to bring this grudge with me into my casket? Because guess what? When I'm dead, I'm, everybody's going to be like, what a shame that they never set down their, their, their grudge. It's a shame. People take pity. I know some people that are in a fight and they're siblings and it's the stupidest thing. Neither one of them will take a step in and just say, hey, I don't even want to talk about this. I just miss you. I love you. Neither one of them will do it. And you know what? They both look like idiots. <laughs> because everyone's like, what are you doing? What you're mad about is over. It's gone. It's in the past. Set it down. You have another 30, 40 years to live with peace and harmony. Enjoy making loving memories with your sibling. And you're choosing to make this one event, this one strife point, determine the rest of your life. So if that's you, stop it. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. So that's what's been going on around here. Um, that and getting my speaking career going. I took a really cool boot camp course and got some of my uh, public speaking materials done and uh, just so excited to start going out and doing more speaking engagements. Um, it's so cool. Got my keynote title, um, my takeaways. I'm excited because a lot of conferences, they bring in like, um, you know, uh, famous celebrities. I have a friend, she organizes events. And you know, Terry Bradshaw was at one convention and uh, the guy who plays George Costanza on Seinfeld. And I'm like, that must be cool to have a celebrity at your event. People go, oh, wow, that's cool. I got to hear him talk. Well, what if you have a real person they can relate to on your stage that's like, hey, I'm just a person. This is all the crap that I contended with. This is the stuff I overcame. Not because I'm special and I'm super awesome, but because I'm a human being. And guess what? You're a human being, so you're capable of everything. Now, what can't you do? That is what I'm uh, doing <laughs> is to say to people who organize events, bring a real person like me that people can relate to, not a celebrity, not an elite athlete, not some old football star that's cool and interesting with great stories, but somebody that says, I am you, you are me. What can we do? Let's go do it. So I'm excited. I'm super excited. I often put an ad in my, my podcast now to say, Hey, if you organize events, you have events. If you have, I don't care, small or large, bring me in. I want to talk to your people. I'm so excited. Um, 
Anyway, so that's an update from the beach. Uh, and the next part of this podcast, very personal, very detailed about my uh, experience with uh, alcoholism in my marriage and just how I had to face, face the fact that things were not fair. So I hope you'll listen. I hope you listen with an open heart and understand where my heart is coming from and let me know your feedback. Do you love this podcast and all the stuff I talk about? Food, fitness, motivation, empowerment. I would love to come and bring my workshops to your small group, PTA clubs, community organizations. Perhaps you go to a conference every year or every quarter. I want to come and talk to your group. I want to bring my encouragement, my story, everything that makes this podcast amazing and the reason why you keep coming back. I want to bring it to your group. Send me a message. I would love to talk to you about how I can come and bring the Destination Begins spirit and content to you in your group. Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. This week I had the pleasurable opportunity to be guided through a workshop on finding my why. My friend Shelly has been such a huge boost to me personally and for my business. She's a really successful entrepreneur and she's right here in Miami Beach. She found the boot camp and fell in love with boot camp and the sunrises. And has made it her personal vendetta, apparently, to encourage and motivate me so much that I can't escape it, which has been amazing. Um, I think I talked about it here on the podcast, the story of this one particular day I was just exhausted, doubting everything that I do, doubting everything that I'm trying to do and my passion and my vision and just exhausted and just feeling like, I need to just go back to spreadsheeting and accounting because this isn't working. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. I don't matter. This doesn't matter. Sure, there's some people who come at sunrise, but they'd find something else to do. It doesn't really matter. And um, I was on a walk with Roy and he was talking and he had no indication that this was happening, this mental storm. And we came up to a corner and we turned right to head toward the beach path, which is one block parallel to where we were walking. And there we ran into Shelly and she looked up, she was wearing her Miami beach boot camp tank top. And she said, Oh my God, I was just talking about you. She's got an Australian accent. I just butchered it. But she was talking to her friend that very moment that I was in a mental storm saying to myself in every way, shape and form that I don't matter. She was saying out loud to her friend, how much I matter to her how much boot camp changed her life and how amazing my story is and how it is so powerful in so many people's lives. So she looked up and saw me as she was talking and she gave me a hug and she's like, I was just talking about you and telling her how amazing you are and how much this has changed my life. I started bawling and I stood there and I let her love on me. I let her speak her beautiful truth of her experience with me in boot camp. And I it soaked in my soul and reminded me that, yes, what I'm doing does matter. I matter. It was such a gift. And she continues to be a gift to me in so many ways, including on Monday, she took two and a half, three hours of her day and got on a video call with me and facilitated this workshop, Finding Your Why, Simon Sinek. I'd never really heard of him. I'd heard of his name, but she'd mentioned it a few times. And finally she said, I want to do this with you. And so we did it. 
And basically the process is um, she had me think of ahead of time 10 different stories that were that shaped me in my life from any time in my life, impactful stories, memories that come back really, really sharply, and then pull out the top five and then just tell her the stories. And in so doing, she would help me find out, you know, why I do the things I do, why my passions are my passions. And ultimately that why is the heart and soul of my business. Yes, I run boot camps. Yes, I train people. Yes, I do motivational speeches. I know how I do those things, but why? And after we got done with this, I, I likened it to like when you get a floater on your eyeball, there's something on your eyeball and you want to look at it. So you keep trying to look, but you can't focus on it because it's not on the center of your eyeball. So you keep looking, 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 and you can sort of see it. That's how I felt about my why. I sort of knew what it was, but I hadn't really dug in to get it solid. And so this exercise was amazing. And in telling these stories from my past, um, so many insights flowed and so so many feelings came back to the surface. And there's one particular story out of all of them that is still resonating in my head after retelling it. I didn't realize how much impact this moment, this story had on my life until I retold it. And it is a pretty stark one. I mean, this one does come to me quite often. I would say I think about it I wouldn't say I think about it regularly, but if, if you were to say, give me 10 memories from your life, this would pop up really, really fast. So I'm just going to tell the story. And some of you know a little bit about my history. This is a story that happened when I was married to my second husband. I have other episodes where I didn't name his name, but you guys know who it is for the most part. And if you don't, whatever, it doesn't matter. The name doesn't matter. Um, but I'm just going to tell the story without any kind of... Um, with any, out any filters. This is my podcast, okay? I can talk about my life all that I want. And everyone in my life impacted by this story is healed and moved on and happy, so even more so. So this is a story. I was married to Greg, my second husband. I'm sitting on the floor of the basement bedroom that was my office. So this was a guest room with a big bed in it and then my office. I was sitting on the floor. I was looking at my phone because Greg was uh, missing. Greg had gone back to alcohol um, with many relapses. He was an alcoholic and was sober. And then our marriage consisted of relapse after relapse after relapse. Not like, oh, he went and had a beer, but scary incidents where he would uh, basically binge drink. And so... I don't remember which episode this was. There were nine of them during our very brief marriage. We were married for two years um, in total, two and a half years when you include the legal framework. But there were nine of them. I don't remember which one this one was, but it was toward the end of the list before we split up. Um, But he was missing. And by missing means like I couldn't get a hold of him. But for some reason, I don't remember what we had going on. I don't know if it was find my iPhone or we could see each other's locations. Um, But I could see his location and I could see that he was driving down uh, 169. And that road led to a racetrack casino that he would go to when he was drinking. 
And I could see this happening and I was trying to call him. I was trying to call him. I was scared to death because I knew at that point he was drinking and I wanted to try to interfere and say, you don't have to do this. Come home. You haven't played this tape so, you know, play the tape forward. You haven't gone so far down the road here that you can't, you know, turn it around. Come home, sober up. This doesn't have to be a thing. His relapses would be this big, long incident. It would be a long time before he decided that he was done with the binge and then get sober. And that usually involved medical detox and we'd already done rehab, a bunch of stuff. And so my instinct was always to try to get in front of him and be like, dude, you don't have to do this. It's not too late. Yes, it sucks you drank something, but come home, just stay home, get sober up. We can just, it's a little blip. It doesn't have to be a big sit in the ditch. And unfortunately, when he was already in that mode, there was no reaching him. I understand this because that's how I am when I'm going deep on sugar. Um, not the same, but I mean, I understand the mentality. No one was going to stop him. So I'm sitting here on the floor. I didn't tell many people in my life about this. There were only a couple of people I confided in. And so I was texting my friend, Michelle. I worked with her. She was my confidant. Um, and texting her, you know, horrified. Greg is drinking. I can't find him. He's not answering. And she was just supporting me. And um, finally just realized he's not going to answer his phone. He's going to go do what he's going to do. And I just was sitting there on the floor. I remember what the carpet looks like. I remember what it feels like. When I close my eyes, I'm in that room. The air conditioning was always too high in that room. It was always cold. I was cold, sitting on the floor next to the bed with the navy blue bedspread with the white polka dots. And I was crying. And I was looking up at the ceiling, screaming. No, this is not how it's supposed to be. It's not fair. I was overwhelmed with anger and frustration and just shock. I was shocked. This is not supposed to be my life. I was married before. I was in a horrible marriage. I got out. I saved myself. I fell in love with myself and I got out. And I lost weight. And I took control of my life and I had a great job and I was raising my son. And then I met the man of my dreams. And he married me and I was in suburbia with two beautiful stepsons and I got to go back in time and be a stepmom like I was a mom before and spend time in this beautiful family unit in this wonderful home, my dream. Everyone was happy for me. Finally, Kristen gets the redemption, the happy ending. I really believed I was owed this. This is the story. It's the redemption, it's the happy ending, it's over. Kristen gets the, gets the reward. And here I was sitting in the shambles of my life, my husband, who knows dead or alive, back in the throes of addiction. I'm living in a home with him, sharing finances. I didn't have a pot to piss in. I had gone all in on this. I, yes, I had a great job, but I, I was starting over in this marriage with the rest of my life ahead of me. I didn't get married lightly. I wasn't gonna get married again. This was my second marriage, my last marriage. I loved him. This was my fairy tale. It was my identity. My redemption story was my identity. What's your story? Well, I was raised in a cult. I got rid of brainwashing. Then I got married to the bad guy. I got out of that abusive controlling relationship. Then I got free of 250 pounds and now I've met the man of my dreams and I live in a happy little home. The end, that's who I am. And in that moment on the floor, it was clear to me, this isn't the end. You gotta go through hard crap. It was horrifying. Shelly, summed this story up very well. It's like I was in a car and the car was careening out of control. 
and I was screaming, no, you have to drive straight. I'm in the car. Do you know who's in the car? It's me. I get a safe, quiet ride. And then looking over and seeing that the driver's seat was empty. And then it wasn't that, oh, I was being safely driven to a nice old age retirement home where nothing bad was gonna happen to me ever again till I got there. No, there's a thing called life happening. And I was passively sitting in the passenger seat expecting to get to the end of my life smoothly. And I was pissed. Because what I realized in that moment is I'm not owed anything. My story is not over and I got hard stuff to do. In fact, in that moment, I feel like my story began because I realized, what are you gonna do about it? He's making his choices. You're not passive. Yes, you decided to marry this person, but he's making choices and yes, he is sick. He is in the throes of active addiction, but I have choices I get to make. He gets to make his choices, I get to make mine. What do I wanna do? And what I wanted to do was get up off that floor, stop crying and say, okay, I really hope that you're okay. I'm definitely gonna make sure that I do everything I can to keep you safe if you give me the opportunity. But I am no longer a passive passenger in this car of life. Normally when he would binge drink, I'd go binge eat and say, well, if you're gonna drink alcohol, I'm gonna have junk food. No one would blame me. That was no better behavior. I got up, I went upstairs, I went to bed. You're gonna go do those things, that's totally fine. I have to go to work tomorrow. I have a life to live. I have to live my life the way that I wanna live my life. I wanna do a good job at work. I wanna actualize. I wanna be in control of my own destiny. And that's how it started, where I took back my life. Now, he didn't get sober right away. I don't remember which relapse this was. But it began the journey of me, not this victim. It's tough. When you're with an alcoholic, there's codependency. And we have this idea that we can keep the alcoholic sober. And that we have the power to convince them not to drink. And none of that is true. And that's when it sunk in for me to say, you know what? I have no control over this person, but I have control over myself. Life is not going to hand me a a get-out-of-jail-free card. No one is coming to save me. I have saved myself over and over again. And guess what? That skill is on board forever. But that's not who I am. My story is not who I am. Who I am is somebody who is empowered, who is strong, who has gotten through pain and survived. And I will continue to get through pain. The story is not over. The story is not just written and I get a free pass, but what I've learned and the character that I have found that was within me is who I am. And now I get to apply that to the rest of my life. And that is when my story began. This idea of no one is coming to save me. It's not fair. What am I going to do about it? And all of life comes down to that. It's very sad or this isn't fair. And then, well, what are you going to do about it? Because I refuse to be a passenger in the car of life and let it take me wherever life circumstances flows, other people's behaviors, other people's choices, other people's identities, other people's strategies for my life that have nothing to do with me. I will not be a passive passenger in that car anymore. That's what I learned on that floor of that bedroom.
and it was very sad. And in the end, I left that marriage, and it was very sad. It still makes me sad. But that wasn't the end of my story. And today I sit here in Miami Beach, living a completely different life. My story was just getting started. There's so many chapters since that moment that I thought my story was written. And right now it's tempting to say, well, this is my story. Then I left the second husband. Then I got over the idea that my life was supposed to be cake. And then I got to work. And then I ended up in Miami and I started a business the end. No. And then I started a business. Dot, dot, dot. There's so many blank chapters left to be written. My identity is not all of these things that I've done or overcome. My identity is one of transformative power that I am aware of. My identity is tenacity that I'm aware of. These experiences have shown me who I am, that I matter, that I am powerful, that I am in charge of my experience as a human. Other people can hurt me, can remove my stability system of where I live and who I call my husband or what my title is. But my stability is found in knowing who I am. Life is gonna continue to throw me opportunities to see more of what I'm made of and then go and apply it to whatever that obstacle or challenge is, period. It's stunning to me to have really seen this so recently. I knew that my story wasn't over then and I kind of chuckle, ha ha, I thought my story was over. But to see it in this moment, in this little workshop, to say that was when I became aware, not only of my power, but that I always have to be willing to answer that question. And now what are you going to do? Because I'm going to be given opportunities to answer that question over and over and over and over again. The story is still being written, but the main character is simply learning more and more about who she is. Usually when you read a novel, the main character is fleshed out in the beginning. You get a good idea of who it is. We as people, we have a very small idea of who we are and it's usually shaped by the readers of our story, not by our own insights. And as time goes on, we actually discover who we are bit by bit, moment by moment. We have to let go of what other people have said that we are or even the ideas that we have already formed about who we are and continue to look and search for all of the amazing attributes and aspects of who we are because it empowers us. To sum up my why, I could basically just say, I matter, that's why. Why do I wanna go and build a business speaking to people, telling them about their power, why? Because I matter, that's why. I matter and I want you to be convinced of the fact that you matter so much so that you will go and do whatever pops into your heart and soul whatever you want. I want to go speak because I matter. Until I knew that I mattered, I would never have dreamed of speaking. I was, I didn't want to even organize a food drive at my gym. Who is she to organize a food drive? Well, I matter. Who am I not to organize a food drive? Who am I not to stand on a stage and get the attention of everyone in a room and say, listen to me, you matter. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you right now. I matter. That is my message. We have no idea what's ahead in life. There are so many unknowns. Life changes so fast. All the factors of being a human being on this planet, they they change constantly. The weather, 
a foundation that could be cracked in the building you live in and you don't even know, a family member that could be gone in an instant, or a baby that could be born to you in an instant. We just don't know those things, but what we can be more and more convinced of is who we are. And who we are never changes, it just becomes more noticeable to us as we say, okay, now what? What am I gonna do about it? Wow, this is who I am. How do I express this? On that floor of that bedroom, I made the first of many, many steps out of my pity party, emotional cry fest that it isn't fair. It wasn't fair. If you were to write a fair story for the character of Kristen, it would have been her happy ending. I endured hell in my first marriage. I deserved an easy go about it. (laughs) I didn't get one. That's not fair. Who's writing this thing? No one is writing this thing for my harm. It's called life on life's terms. Greg didn't know when he got in that car that he was going to do X, Y, and Z. He was consumed by the moment, by the addiction. He didn't have time to think about me. He wasn't planning my life. It wasn't personal, but it happened. It happened. What am I gonna do about it? I can't then take a sober Greg and then berate him. Do you understand what you've done to me? Do you understand how my life is different? No, all I can do is say, this is a man who's in the throes of active addiction. It's ruining so much of his life. And yes, I'm married to him. And therefore, by extension, it's ruining a lot of my life. But we all have choices. I have to make choices. It doesn't mean the choices were easy. I'm not telling you to leave your alcoholic spouse or if that's your situation. But for me to sit in the driver's seat and say, where am I going to go? No one is coming to save me. I can't fix this. I can't love him sober. I can't sit here and just hope and wish and wait for my life to be better. I have to take control, drive the car to say, this is who I am. I am strong. I am independent. I am powerful. I do not have to live. I chose not to live in a household where alcohol was abused, period. So therefore we have choices. Greg, I am not living in a household where alcohol is abused. You are abusing alcohol. Therefore, I will not live in this household, period. This isn't about how much I love you or that we're married. This is about my choice to not live in a space where alcohol is ruining the day, the mood. We have no idea what's gonna happen. It could potentially cost people their lives. And then he has the choice to say, wow, my wife won't live in a home where alcohol is being abused. Do I wanna make sure that I get the help that I need so that alcohol abuse is not this prevalent thing that I'm not fighting most of the time? Do I wanna put up boundaries to make sure that my family is safe from this awful alcohol disease? He did not choose to do that. We all have choices. It wasn't until that floor that I realized I had the power to make those choices. I'd been making those choices in every step of the journey that I thought was my identity. I was just wrong about what was my identity and what was the story that life was handing me to live out. Life hands you a story. You don't get to pick who your parents are. You don't get to pick so many things. But what you do with it is always in your control. So my why... That's a long story, but to come up with my why, part of my why is about empowerment. When you really, really see that, you've, that you're valuable, that you matter, that empowers you to actualize, to have the biggest, best life possible. Little different little stages of me recognizing that I matter, recognizing that I have value, 
set me step-by-step step into more and more freedom in life instead of being completely in chains to religious dogma, to an abusive relationship, to food, to a body that totally covered up my ability to action verb live. All of those things started to become not a part of my life as I realized that I mattered more than those things, that my feelings mattered, that my heart mattered, that my safety mattered, that my future and my freedom and my body mattered, that I matter. I don't really know how to end this. I'm all like fired up. I'm glad I went back in my mind to the floor in that basement house. It's crazy in your mind how the things the things are that you remember. To telling that story, I mean, I see the pattern in the carpet and I remember exactly what it felt like to sit on the floor. I remember what was under the bed. I, I remember that comforter. It was really pretty. I liked it so much. And I just, I, rem I remember what that shape of the window looked like. I remember what time of day it was. It was such a pivotal moment. You probably have moments like that in your life too, where all of a sudden everything is stark. I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad, you guys. I, I was so mad at, I don't know at who or what, the universe. There was somebody that was giving me the wrong ending and I was pissed. <laughs> And then guess what? When you scream, there, it's not fair. There isn't someone saying, sorry, let me just fix this. You're right. Nope. It's just not fair. So what are you going to do about it? I have this conversation a lot, actually, in my coaching with doesn't in lots of different ways. So one thing very common is with food. Like, I go out to dinner and like, how am I supposed to not have wine and order pasta? It's so good. And, you know, it's just not fair. I see other people, they're eating it and they look beautiful and fit and thin. It's just not fair. To which I say, okay, does, does this change anything? That, you, you, A, you don't know anything about what they ate yesterday or the day before, or what their brain is doing about food. But the bottom line is you decided that you want to get fit and healthy. And then in order to do that, you can't sit down and have two glasses of wine and a giant pile of pasta and then go home and have a nightcap and skip your workout tomorrow and reach your goals. I can't help that. It's called the laws of nature and gravity and energy expenditure and all of that stuff. It's not fair that it appears that your neighbor next to you at the table gets to eat the pasta and drink the wine and you don't. What do you want to do about it? Because if you say, screw it, it's not fair and eat it anyway, are you going to get what you want? No, you are not. If I had said, it's not fair, Greg is drinking and it's not fair and then just went along with the ride and said, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I don't even know what would happen, but I'd probably be dead. He would be dead. Turns out me leaving is the thing that put him at rock bottom. And me lingering and staying would have been a pillow for rock bottom. And Greg is sober and happy and thriving now. And he has been for, I think, going on three years. So I don't take credit for that because guess what? He had choices. And I'm so grateful he made really good ones. So everybody is happier and healthier and thriving now. He could sit around and say, it's not fair. All the things that happened in my life and I have a taste for alcohol and it's not fair. My, it's not fair my wife left me. It's not fair. Instead, he at some point pulled what he has inside of him in strength and power and decided to action verb live and say, well, I may have a propensity for alcohol. I may have this disease, but guess what? That's very sad. I want a life. I want to see my kids. I want to watch them grow up. I want to go to Derek's baseball games. I want to have a successful business and good relationships and not spend any more time 
in this pit of active addiction. He decided that even though it was very hard and it was very sad. I'm so proud of him. That's his character. That's his strength. That's always been inside of him. And somehow through all of that experience, I'm quite sure he became aware, maybe not on the floor of a bedroom in his house, he became aware that he always had the power. It's a beautiful thing. So there's my story. I hope that you don't have to go back in your mind to any painful things, but if you do, try to look for the common theme of who you are that showed up instead of the circumstances and see what you find out about yourself. That's all I have for you. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.